There's a strange and mysterious document out there, a document that affects the lives of almost every American. It holds great sway over our health and well-being. It is a document that contains valuable secrets about the problems confronting the U.S. economy. I speak, of course, of the hospital medical bill. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Jacob Goldstein. Today on the show, we are going to crack the code of that incredibly important, incredibly mysterious document, the hospital bill. Right. And we're going to do it with the help of journalist Stephen Brill, who just wrote a 24,000-word article in Time magazine, 24,000 words. Jacob, to maybe non-journalists, that doesn't mean much. It's a small book. (laughs) Not that small. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And it's all about this document, the hospital medical bill. Where do the prices come from on it? And one key thing that makes this document so important is this really weird, problematic thing in healthcare. It's unlike almost anything else in the economy. And that thing is, the people who are getting healthcare patients, they typically don't know how much what they're getting actually costs. And in fact, a lot of the time, if you ask a doctor, you say, Doc, how much is this going to cost? The doctor doesn't know either. Right. Because for most of us, It's set up between the hospital and the insurance company or the doctor's office and the insurance company. The insurance company is the one paying the bills for most of us for our health care. So we never actually see the bill. But these bills do exist. They get sent to and fro. And so what Stephen Brill did for this article was to track down a bunch of actual bills. He found a bunch of patients who either didn't have insurance or for various other reasons had received bills directly from the hospital. And he went line by line through these hospital bills. And he starts his article with a guy named Sean Ritchie, who was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and went to a place called MD Anderson Cancer Center. MD Anderson's bill to Mr. Ritchie was $83,900. And Brill wanted simply to understand what medicines and services were included in that number. How did the hospital arrive at those prices? But when he looked at the 344 line items that made up that total figure, it still didn't help that much. It's all in, you know, acronyms. And it doesn't say chest accuracy. No, it doesn't say, right, yeah. you know, run-of-the-mill blood test. It does not say that, right? You see a charge for $28, and it says whatever the, the abbreviation is, it's in the article. I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. remember it for what turns out to be a diabetes test strip. Right. Okay? It's $19 or $18 something. Yeah, AccuCheck CCRV. Right. So you have no idea what that is, right? Mm-hmm. And and you look at you look at his his bill and so and, and sort of like the the, the itemize you know you sort of go down and so there's all these things there's, you said it was 344 lines mm-hmm. um, and from you know things like the one of a kind cancer drugs you know something yeah. that's very fair, rare that most of us don't have an experience with but all the way down to for example it said one one line on the bill was one acetaminophenate no, wait Tylenol it's, it's a generic <laughs> right. Tylenol. Don't try to pronounce it. It's really hard. <laughs> right. Generic Tylenol. One tab of 325 milligrams was a dollar fifty. Yeah. That's not that much. Obviously, that's not what's going to go to inflate his entire bill. But that sort of, you say, it sets the tone. It's, it's sort of emblematic of everything we're talking about because you can buy them. You, know, you, you can go to Amazon and buy them, I think, a, a, a bottle of 100 of them for $1.49. Right. So you can get 100 for what they're charging them for one. Right. And, you know, they charge them for a uh, little alcohol pad they put on you before they give you a shot, mm-hmm. you know, an injection. Yeah. Charge them $7 for that. For an alcohol pad. Yeah. Right. So you start digging in and you have lots of these bills. You've right. Everybody you talk to, you've got all this all through the article. It's really an amazing article. And you just go sort of all these different 
people who've shown you their bill, and you sort of do this for everybody, sort of mm-hmm. looking at where these charges come from. Mm-hmm. And then the thing that I found most, it's sort of like you get to see the wizard here because you, you, you go to the hospitals and you say, how do you come up with that number, right? And, and they started referring you to this document. The charge master. Well, that's based on our charge master. I said, oh, and it's the first time I'd ever heard that term. Charge you know, master. Yeah, you know, if you live in the alternate universe of the healthcare economy, everybody knows what the charge master is. Right. It's just that none of us do. Um, it's a list, six, seven, ten thousand items long of everything the hospital provides, ranging from the generic Tylenol pill to, you know, the thirteen thousand dollar wonder drug and everything in between. Mm-hmm. It's the the seventeen hundred and ninety one dollar uh, charge in the case of MD Anderson in Houston for the room each night. Um, now you would think that for seventeen hundred and ninety one dollars for the room, you know, you know they throw in the Tylenol. Um, <laughs> so, so every hospital has their own charge. Yeah, and none of them are consistent. Mm. I mean, just by coincidence, I ended up with two bills um, from hospitals that are, you know, just twenty or twenty five miles away from each other. Um, in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and Stanford, Connecticut, and one of the blood tests coded with acronyms and everything on the charge master and on the bill at one of the hospitals was $199, and it was um, $239, you know, up the road at the other hospital. And, and no one could explain it. It's, it. It is unexplainable. What did you and did you ask people like where does this where do these numbers yeah. come from? What do they say? Two different kinds of answers. One at uh, at Bridgeport Hospital, which is part of the Yale New Haven health system, uh, they basically said, well, that's a historical charge. We really can't – we can't trace it to anything. But the more typical answer I got was we can't talk to you about any of that because it would violate the HIPAA laws. HIPAA is is the federal statute ensuring the privacy of patient uh, records. Um, it even got to the point of absurdity where I was in this conversation with the hospital, Mercy Hospital in Oklahoma City, where they charge uh, $38 or something like that for the disposable surgeon's gown. And you can buy them on eBay, like, for 5 or $6. And I said, well, why do you charge $38 for the surgeon's gown? Well, it would violate patient privacy laws to tell you that. And I said, well, if there was a law governing, uh, you know, surgeon's privacy, maybe we could have a discussion about it. But what does that have to do with the patient? It has nothing to do with the patient. Um, I think there are two reasons that one is they don't want to talk about it, but I think the the more explainable reason is they've just never been asked. Mm-hmm. They were just flat-footed. Were you surprised at how I get the impression that the hospital administrators were a little bit hostile to you coming around and they they were hostile, but they weren't they, they were more sort of surprised than hostile. They just it, it was they just looked at me like I was crazy. Who why why are you asking that? Who cares about that? Um and and you know then they got hostile when they realized I was really serious about it. I, <laughs> I imagine now that the article's published, there'll be a fair amount of hostility. Although I will tell you that since the article has been out, I've gotten hundreds and hundreds of e- of emails and letters, a lot of which are from doctors and people working in medical institutions saying, "You only touched the tip of the iceberg." I mean, I have this real you know you should know what's going on. I mean one doctor at one hospital that's in the article sent me a copy of a memo he'd gotten from his supervisor with a graph pointing out that he had been um, ordering fewer 
of a certain kind of lab test. I don't want to be specific. Of a certain kind of lab test. And it was a graph that said he was down like 5% in the tests he'd ordered over the last quarter. And he better get that back up. Wow. So he was the, the hospital was basically saying, you're not ordering enough tests. We're not bringing enough yeah, money. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, maybe he had patients who didn't need the test. There's always that, right? <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. So in, in the article, when you talk about um, – it's sort of you, you got the charge master. You've got all the 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 you know. So set, let's say you have a bunch of a bunch of, uh, some drugs, a bunch of diagnostic tests that, that are mm-hmm. that are all being paid according to the charge master. One of the things that everybody said to you is, well, nobody actually pays from the charge master. That was mm-hmm. something that sort of came up again and again. And so what happens is they everybody knows like okay, those are the official prices. But if you're anybody in the healthcare system, you don't pay those. So insurance companies pe- tend to pay less. Well, yeah, but let's stop yeah. there because, first of all, if you're anybody in the healthcare system, well, if you're someone without insurance, that's what you're going to get billed for and that's what you're going to get sued for. Right. Um, basically, you know, the, the best way to boil this down is the people who are least able to pay, those without insurance, are the only ones asked to pay the charge master. Right. So and that's then, an upside-down world. And then and everybody then the else – insurance companies yeah. get different kinds of discounts depending on the leverage they have with, in this case, the hospital. Mm-hmm. So let's and, – and one of the troubling things I've sort of found is that hospitals are increasingly consolidating their power in the marketplace. And by buying up uh, physicians' practices, which means that your doctor will send you to that hospital, um, or by buying up uh, competing local hospitals, so that if you're the – if you're one of two major hospitals in a metropolitan area, and there are a lot of metropolitan areas like that, two major quality hospitals in the metropolitan area. And your insurance company, you want to sell insurance in that area, you have to have that hospital in your network. You're not going to be able to, to, to sell insurance. So the hospital has all the leverage over you. You know, if it's a game of chicken, the hospital can say, well, you know, we don't need you. You need us. Hmm. Now, one of the ironies of Obamacare is by creating health insurance exchanges, which are a good thing, if you create more competition in the insurance industry, you lower still more the market power of the insurers to negotiate with these ever-expanding hospitals. Right, right. So you're saying that when because of the exchanges that are a big part of Obamacare, you think it's actually going to worsen the negotiating power of the insurance Here's companies? what I think is, is going to happen with Obamacare. Obamacare does a lot of good things. It uh, – Restricts how hospitals can sue people for these these charge master bills. Um, obviously, it it puts an umbrella over a lot more people. Um, it gets rid of the kind of policies that a couple of my patients had there, where they thought they had health insurance and they really didn't because there were annual limits on payouts and lifetime. Oh, limits. that was sort of written into the small yeah. print of the policy. Yeah. yeah, and it gets rid of you know the pre-existing condition things. But if you think about that, by eliminating the restriction on pre-existing conditions. And by getting rid of the annual and lifetime you know, payout limits, whatever else you think of insurance companies, you're dramatically increasing their risk and their exposure. And that's why even now already, insurance premiums are going up, right? going up a lot, because they're going to have to pay out a lot more. So you've got the uninsured people, they're paying the charge master. Um, then you've got the insurance companies who are paying some discount off of the mm-hmm. charge master. Then you have Medicare. And then you have Medicare. Well, and Medicare is the only place, oddly enough, 
irony of ironies, where you start to approximate a real marketplace because Medicare has buying power that in any community rivals that of the hospital. Now, hospitals don't have to accept Medicare patients. They all do. Why? Because they represent probably a third or more of the the hospital stays at any given hospital anywhere. They pay very quickly. You know you're going to get your money. Um, insurance companies can fight with you, dispute you, take a long time, and certainly the uninsured don't pay so quickly. Um, but Medicare drives the prices down. Medicare, you know, culls all this data and according to the law and reality, pays what the real cost of providing each service is, including overhead, including salaries, including all that stuff. Now, if you want to prove that hospitals don't lose money on Medicare, just drive up and down any highway in Florida and look at all the billboards, and all the billboards are advertising all these brand-new, you know, shiny hospitals. And guess who those patients are? They're all Medicare patients. So, you know, hospitals wouldn't advertise for patients that they're losing money for. Right. They're not advertising. They wouldn't keep expanding. The other irony about Medicare is uh, that in the debate over um, how to cut uh, the deficit and how to cut spending on entitlements, I think, I know, I can make the argument that if you lowered the Medicare age, not raised it, if you lowered it to 63 or 64, you'd actually cut the deficit. And that's because Medicare buys its uh, uh, services so much less expensively than um, insurance companies and and administers itself so much more efficiently um, that in the wake of Obamacare, where um, the government is now going to subsidize people who can't afford their own health insurance, rather than, uh, than subsidize a more expensive private insurance premium, um, letting those people buy at higher premiums than, than a 65-year-old, a Medicare uh, service um, would actually cut the deficit, mm-hmm. and you'd save money. Mm-hmm. But it's a, you know, Obamacare really at the end of the end of the day is about um, who pays the high cost of health care not about cutting into the high cost of healthcare. So, Jacob, when I think about Stephen Brill's article and why I liked it so much, I think it did a really good job of illustrating one of the key problems out there, this crazy lack of price transparency. You as a patient just don't know the price of the care you're getting. And that is one of the key factors in the rise of healthcare spending we're all talking about all the time. And pretty much anybody you talk to will agree this is a key part of the problem. But then, of course, the question is, what do you do about it? And the article is actually kind of short on solutions. It's this long description in great detail of all these problems and sort of vague about about solutions. But in some of the interviews after, he has come out with some clear solutions. He does pick a side. For one thing, he thinks we should lower the age at which people qualify for Medicare. You know, like he told you, Alex, Medicare really is good at getting low prices out of hospitals. So Compared to insurance companies. Compared to insurance yeah. companies and certainly compared to people who don't have insurance. Uh, he does also suggest that at least for some things, say for drugs, maybe the government should just come out and set prices for everybody and say not just Medicare, but the price for whoever's buying this drug is going to be set by the government. Now, there's an entirely opposite lesson you could draw, though, looking at the same set of facts that he uncovers in his, in his article. And that is that we just need to change the way 
we pay for our the services we get from the hospitals. In, in other words, we need to take it out of the hands of Medicare and insurance companies and put it directly into the hands of the people who are actually consuming the care, the patients. They are the ones who should be making the decisions and should be knowing what the costs are. And advocates of this solution say, you know, we can take some of the money right now that our employers, for example, are paying into our insurance premiums. And if that money just went directly to us, then we would be paying our own bills and hospitals would be forced to compete with each other for our business. We would shop around for health care. Hospitals would compete for our, our dollars. Bill argues, yeah, sure, the market is a great way to sell TVs and cell phones and groceries, but healthcare is fundamentally different. You know, I mean, if you have chest pains, you're not going to, like, get on the Internet and start Googling what hospital in my neighborhood has the best price for heart attack treatment, right? You're going <laughs> to right. call 911 and the ambulance is coming, get you, and it's going to take you wherever it takes you. So he argues the market is not really a sensible model to use for healthcare. Right. And obviously, we're not going to settle this debate right here. But the one thing that's clear, our healthcare system is a total mess. And to see that, all you have to do is look at a simple hospital bill. As always, we would love to hear your thoughts, questions, comments. Please email us at planetmoney at npr.org. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, on the web at npr.org slash money. And we will, of course, have a link to Steve Brill's article. And while you're on our website, which is also accessible through planetmoney.com, we would love if you could fill out our survey. We just want to know more about you guys. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Jacob Goldstein. Thanks for listening. 